0: Welcome to the 243rd installment of Ear to the Ground, the Land Stewardship Project's podcast on family farming, sustainable agriculture, local food systems, and local democracy. I'm Brian DeVore, editor of the Land Stewardship Letter. Retired farmer Lyle Lusum has a view of land ownership that might surprise a lot of his contemporaries. To think you own it is folly. You don't own it, he told me recently while we were sitting in a coffee shop in the northeastern Iowa community of Decorah. The way Lyle sees it, when he and his wife Sue held the deed to 170 acres near Decorah for almost four decades, they were just taking care of it temporarily, utilizing sustainable, conservation-based farming methods. Stewardship of this farm was particularly important, given that it sits on steep land that is highly erosive, and that Lyle's family had a long history of utilizing conservation. Lyle and Sue themselves had always made sure the farm had a diverse soil-building mix of row crops, small grains, and hay. They went no-till and certified it organic. They also raised sheep on pasture and marketed the meat locally. Even though the farm has been valued at around a million dollars, the Lusums never felt they were entitled to cashing out at the top of the market when they moved off the land. Rather, their priority was seeing it passed on to someone who would continue to steward the land long into the future. So when they were approaching their 70s a few years ago and thinking about retiring, the Lusums were thrilled to learn about a group called SILT, otherwise known as the Sustainable Iowa Land Trust. SILT helps stewardship-minded landowners like the Lusums make their acres available to the next generation of sustainable, regenerative farmers. As SILT's executive director, Susan Aram explains it, the organization uses easements and land donations to protect agricultural acres and make them available to farmers who might otherwise not have access to land. An easement is a covenant. Attached to a deed that ensures in perpetuity land will be used in a certain way, no matter who owns it or is renting it. In the case of the easement SILT uses, they make sure enrolled farms will not be future homes to, for example, tract housing, commercial development, chemical intensive cropping operations, or CAFOs. The silt easements go a step further and also guarantee the farm will be managed utilizing regenerative practices. Silt staff monitor and enforce the easements. When landowners choose to attach such restrictions to their deed, it tends to lower their farm's dollar value by as much as 40%. When they sell it, this discount can give farmers a chance to buy land without competing with housing developers or conventional commodity farmers on price. Silt also accepts donations of farms that have easements. Once an operation is donated, the organization rents it to a farmer utilizing a long-term lease, which has a discounted rate based on how much the land's value has been reduced by the independently appraised easement. With decades of looming mortgage interest out of the picture, the beginning farmers on silt-owned lands can plow capital into their operations. They won't ever own the land, but they can rent to own the house and outbuildings without paying interest or poning up a hefty down payment, allowing them to build equity in the long term. Meanwhile, the former landowners garner significant tax breaks, as well as peace of mind that they're helping launch the next generation of farmers. Conservation easements are nothing new, but Silt's use of easements may be one of the only examples in the Midwest of such a deed restriction being applied to working farmland that may not otherwise have an outstanding natural feature, like a wetland or a native prairie. It's a recognition that sustainable farming practices can benefit the ecosystem as well as the community. Since it was launched five years ago, SILT has enrolled nine farms for a total of 935 acres. The organization uses existing resources, such as the land stewardship project seeking farmers, seeking land clearinghouse, to recruit farmers for parcels that need them. The beginning farmers currently running the operations enrolled in the SILT program represent a range of enterprises. Grass-based livestock, small-scale vegetables, and organic grain, for example. In 2016, Lyle and Sue Lusum donated their operation, called Driftless Hills Farm, to Silt, and eventually moved to Decorah. I recently visited the farm and met Andy and Betsy Boone, beginning farmers, who are now leasing it. They are raising pasture-based livestock and direct marketing the meat. They're utilizing 70 acres of the land. The rest is enrolled in the Conservation Reserve Program, and the Boones will be eligible to farm those set-aside acres once the contract expires. They will never own the farm, but can lease it long-term. They have two small children, and they can inherit the lease if they choose to farm someday. The Boons are also eligible to enter a rent-to-own arrangement on the house and outbuildings. While I was in Decorah, I talked to Lyle Lusum and Andy Boone about the passing of the stewardship torch. First, Andy and I chatted about the difficulty of gaining access to farmland and why he and Betsy aren't bothered by the fact that they'll never own those 170 acres. So, Andy, you just talked a little bit about this uh, situation you have where you're working with silt and you've gotten access to this land and it's kind of you're getting this um, pasture-raised livestock operation going. But I was wondering, you guys have, um, you came upon this after kind of trying to get access to land. I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about the difficulty of getting access to land, I think, for a non-farming public Driving through the Midwest, they go, look at all this land that's available, but there really isn't for the kind of farming you want to do and the kind of things that you're interested in doing into the future. The access to land is a huge issue.
1: Yeah, it really is a huge issue. We we were on a small five-acre parcel of land that limited us greatly to how many animals we could raise, and there was no land around us that had not been leased for a really long time. So getting new leases on land on pasture was very hard where we were and I was working full time so it was the challenge of working managing animals off our home site and then also coming home to kids and then the animals at our home site it felt like I would have no time for my family and I would constantly constantly be in the car driving from site to site and then there's also the expense of paying for rented land our home land it's just, it felt very unobtainable for us.
0: When you um, learned about this situation here, it um, it sounds like there was a couple things that attracted you. Part of it was access to markets, but also the fact that there was a little bit of a stewardship legacy here, uh, and that uh, that was something you were very interested in.
1: Location was a big one for us, uh, near the city of Decorah, which has a very neat uh, environment, I guess, and neat, interesting people. And... Also, proximity to Twin Cities and Rochester seemed ideal for us. And the land itself had a lot going for it with pasture uh, it had, that had been certified organic. We have 70 acres to use, which for us is a, a large jump in land base. And it also had machinery. And that, too, was very uh, very intriguing for us We to try growing some small grains for our pigs, to cut hay for our sheep things we'd never had access before to. Mm -hmm.
0: And you hadn't met Lyle and Sue until after you'd kind of successfully uh, uh, gotten access to the farm. But it turns out that that's been a pretty good, it sounds like you've been able to strike that balance of uh, Lyle can help you out when you need help and give you some advice and all that, but not in an overbearing way, sounds like.
1: Lyle has been an incredible resource for us. He has been nothing but generous with his time. And his finances. He's helped us with some tractor repairs since he gave them all away, which is incredibly generous. He's been out throughout the whole year showing me how to bale hay, plant grains, harvest grains. I mean, I can't even tell you how many times I've called Lyle and asked mm-hmm. him, what the heck do I do now? Yeah. And he's been extremely generous and respectful of our of boundaries, too. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's been an incredible re- relationship to have him as a mentor.
0: The other way he's been helpful is to help connect you with neighbors here in the area. That that that's you know, they may not be doing the kind of agriculture you're doing, but it sounds like they're interested in seeing some younger folk come into the neighborhood.
1: Yeah, that's that's been incredible also. And I, I did forget about that, how big of a uh, asset that is to have someone introduce us to the neighbors that he's known for most of his life and that are happy to help and have been really supportive of seeing younger farmers trying to succeed. Mm-hmm.
0: People are so hooked into the idea that you've got to own that land, that that is, uh, you, you know, it's it's such a connection. It's almost an emotional connection. But you, you guys went through a very rigorous application process and are very committed to this model right now. And you don't seem to have a problem with the fact that you will never own this land.
1: No, I, I really don't see it as a problem. I feel like due to the fact that we have this land lease through... Uh, the Sustainable Iowa Land Trust, that the land is protected, that our lease is secure. I don't worry that all of a sudden the farmer is going to just decide he wants to sell it and pull it out from under us or lease it to someone else for more money. Um, we were offered a lot of security through a long lease. You know, we start with a three-year lease, but then we go right into a 20-year lease, and we start building equity in the house. We can't own the land, but I feel like if we control the land, that's just as good as owning the land.
0: Lyle then described to me his enlightened view of farmland ownership and how the local food movement gives him hope that there are opportunities for farmers like the Boons to carry on a stewardship legacy far into the future. Well, Lyle, for this to be a reality, you had to kind of get over this idea that, I guess you had to kind of look at ownership or maybe the lack of ownership in a different way. Can you talk a little bit about that? I think that's, that's a really interesting That's what this is, is kind of getting that idea across is really one of the basic bricks in that foundation of trying to provide opportunities for somebody else out there. Yeah, there was kind of
2: an aha moment, I guess. Um, Because we're Americans, we think we own things in the sense that we have the right to do anything we want to with them. But traditionally what's happened is that farms have been passed on from generation to generation. So then you have to ask yourself, did I own that? Well, yes, you had the deed, you had the technical property ownership, but what you actually did was you used it while you were here for a living, for a livelihood, for a life, and then you pass it on to somebody else. You didn't turn it into numbers. And typical real estate is turned into numbers, and then you either use those numbers for something else or you die with those numbers. The SILT model removes the ownership, but it doesn't remove the opportunity to make a life or a living. And so this requires a little bit of a change of concept in what ownership really gives you and what it gives you is stability and the opportunity to do those things that you want to do. Well. You don't have to actually own the land to have that if you have a model that allows you to do those things okay. in the same way. And then you don't have to play in the speculative market of real estate either. So I think it, it offers an opportunity, an alternative to what we inherently have as Americans have become enamored with, and that is land speculation. Mm-hmm. And it puts it back into a, um, a natural and a positive relationship to the land itself.
0: It sounds like part of your incentive or drive to not just cash out or, or or whatever is that farm had a long history of conservation. You had done some things, but also your parents had done some things, and you're you know before that going going pretty far back over a hundred years. That, that talk a little bit about some of the things that were done on that farm to because it this we're in an area that is highly erosive, very hilly, very hard to farm in a way that isn't doing harm to the soil, that kind of thing, but that was an example of a farm that was able to kind of put in place some things that you sure hate to see go away. Yeah, you know, in retrospect, much of the land
2: in this part of the Driftless area shouldn't have been farmed. Trees were removed where they shouldn't have been. Fields were created where they shouldn't have been. They were inappropriately farmed up and down the hills until people realized that water runs downhill. And uh, so in the 40s, when the 30s and 40s when the Soil Conservation Service came in to allow um, both programs to incentivize and in- inform and educate farmers about how to save the soil. Uh, my father got involved early on uh, by changing, with permission of the insurance company he was renting the farm from, which had been sold at a share sale when his parents died. He got permission to implement contour um, farming and then contour strip farming and then when he was able to repurchase the farm, was uh, able to put on contours, um, terraces. One of the problems when you have relatively steep hills, you have a lot of curves, and curves are not very amenable to huge equipment. And so, you, what you know, what we realized very quickly was that if this farm goes into someone who doesn't care about those things, it'll, those things would be quickly erased, and these are probably some of the oldest terraces in the county, if not the oldest. Uh, so there's a long conservation history that we didn't want to see just torn up and put into
0: corn and soybeans in a, in a big CAFO. And one other important element to all this is you've got to taste a little bit of the local food movement. And so you saw that there were, it would be one thing if you just was like, I'd really like this to be taken care of and and good conservation, but you saw also that there were opportunities in, I guess, regenerative agriculture or sustainable agriculture for uh, the next generation to make a living on that land. That makes you go through the trouble and, I guess, you know, uh, like you said, you had to go through a lot of spreadsheets to make this work for you, but also figure out how to... um, that, that this wasn't going to be something that you were going to benefit from economically, but that, that, that whole local food movement has provided an opportunity for that next generation. You're not just setting them up for failure or, or whatever.
2: Well, you, you can't eat healthy local food and have it available if nobody grows it. Mm-hmm. So sometimes if you want something, you have to do what you can to make it available. This is one of the opportunities we had. We're... We got involved in the local food movement uh, when it started here a dozen years ago, the involvement of our local food and farm coalition, which morphed into the partnership with the W.K. Kellogg Foundation Food and Fitness Initiative. So it's been an ongoing uh, evolution of education and uh, information about local foods. And what I saw happening through that period, and and starting before that even, uh, was very innovative, market farmers who actually did not come from farm backgrounds, who just decided, by golly, if you want food, you need to grow it. And they created a market here. So there is a market that is an active and very uh, robust market for a small area, local foods, which gave me the opportunity when I retired to uh, from my day job to get into that in a small way. I, I, by certifying organic and then having lamb, growing sheep and selling lamb in the local restaurants and uh, individual market, I participated in that. And between watching these other young people who came from nowhere, it seemed, and suddenly gave us this wonderful food and being able to participate in it myself, I realized that there was the potential for making this an opportunity to have Always
0: have at least one farm available in the area where this food could always be grown. One of the things that you've really been able to uh, that really struck me was this is one way of figuring out that w- real bugaboo of transferring land to the next generation, which is the timing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the timing worked out for you when you were, you you were interested in coming back to the farm, but that is really a rarity. But you're able to in some ways buy time or kind of create. situation where the time that the landowner is ready to leave that farm and the next generation is ready to come on, that you're able to dovetail those a little bit more nicely?
2: Yeah, you know, as individuals, we have only our own lives to deal with. And we have certain times in our lives when we have the opportunity to do something or we have the requirement to do something. It usually doesn't... There's very few options involved in that. The thing about a, a land trust that can this is that the land trust is there, mm-hmm. and you can take the land owner's needs out of the equation, and that leaves the, removing any variable from an equation makes it easier to solve. So then it's the question of finding somebody who is able and willing and wants to live in and use this farm for growing food in the spot that it is, of the type it is, and can afford to do it and can find a way to do it. It doesn't have to have that extra dimension, but that extra dimension just compounds the difficulty of finding this magic match that has to happen. And it is a magic match, but it's easier the fewer variables you have to deal with.
0: Yeah. You could have went the extra mile, spent a lot of time and resources to find the exact right farmer that was doing the kind of farming that you're interested in, and, but that, and you, you may have been successful at doing that. That would have been one connection, and then it's up to that farmer to make the next connection. But this system through SILT makes it, it gives a, and the fact that maybe you're helping create a model for it too, makes it so that that, that's more of a, it isn't just based on one connection after one connection after one connection that you can start to see that more of a network or more of a multiple kind of thing.
2: Yeah, uh, we die. Uh, hopefully a land trust doesn't die. Or if it does, it is able to pass that to another land trust that hasn't died. So our short lifetimes in the whole scheme of things gives us the ability to do things only when we're alive. And if we find that magic person and all the the stars align, Mm -hmm. that works this one time, the next time that magic has to occur again. And individuals cannot do this over time. Only organizations can, because that is why they are organizations. And they have charters, and they have missions, and they have requirements. And that's their purpose. This This is the purpose that allows people to allow their land to be used for these good things without having to do everything themselves, which is mostly beyond the capabilities, especially as we get older. Of finding this magic and putting it off is the easiest thing to do but
0: it's also the thing that can get you in the biggest trouble. Yeah. This must be kind of exciting for you though that this I mean it's it's kind of cool and you're able to have a connection with that farmer if they need help or need a connection with a, another local farmer in the community. It must be kind of fun, a little fun and exciting. It is, it's very rewarding and you
2: know I guess what we looked at is that as I our good family So rather than pass this on to our daughter, who decided this would be a good thing for her to do also, Mm -hmm. because she no longer has this piece of her inheritance, SILT is acting as if they were our, well, they're the inheritors of our estate, essentially, and they are acting as family members who will live. So yeah, it's very rewarding.
0: For more on the Sustainable Iowa Land Trust, see silt.org. That's s-i-l-t.org. LSP has several resources that can help with transitioning farmland onto the next generation. Check them out on our Farm Transition Tools page at landstewardshipproject.org. If you have comments or suggestions about this podcast, contact Brian DeVore at bdevore at landstewardshipproject.org or you can call 612-722-6377. By the way, it helps us greatly if you can give Ear to the Ground a rating on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, or whatever podcast platform you utilize. Thanks to Laura Borgendell, a Western Minnesota musician, for Ear to the Ground's theme music. And a special thank you to all of Land Stewardship Project's members who make initiatives such as this podcast possible. If you're not a member, visit landstewardshipproject.org to learn how you can support LSP. Thanks for listening. <laughs>